0: Welcome into Millennial Money. Thank you so much for joining us. As always, folks, today we have meet Kevin, Graham, Steph, and Andre Jick, and myself, Jeremy LaFave, all in the house. And uh, yeah, we got a lot to talk about here today, okay? Uh, we got to talk about Michael Burry and some comments he had around uh, the state of the stock market or just the financial markets in general. He basically said Biggest bubble in history, times two. So we'll talk about that, okay? We're going to talk about China ports. I don't know if you guys heard, but there's like uh, 16 days right now to get some of these ships cleared in China. It could get worse. They're talking about inflation going to go up even more. Pricing is going to go up even more. We're going to talk about millennials. We're going to talk about Bitcoin. We're going to talk about stocks. We're going to talk about some personal uh, life updates and things like that. And uh, before we get into this, guys, if you want to check out uh, for the first link in the description, we should have a link down there if you're looking for a limited time to get up to two free stocks worth up to $2,300 from Webull. Check it out. It's the first link down there. So welcome in, guys. How's everybody doing today? Great. Doing well. Good. Good, good. So l- let's just get started with the serious stuff. What do you guys think about the Michael Burry? Did, did all you guys see the tweet he sent out a few hours ago? Um you know, and, and for anybody not watching, just so you know, Michael Burry is the guy from the, the famous movie, The Big Short. And he, you know, correctly, you know, uh, got the housing market right. That it was gonna crash in 2007, eight, nine, right? And he, they blew they blew him up into like the super famous, like God of the financial markets now. And, um, and from my understanding, he also has made money from GameStop stock. So that, that kind of makes for an interesting dynamic there. But, um, yeah, you, you guys did see it or you didn't see the tweet?
2: I saw it. I saw your video on it. It was really good. So okay. give people an overview of exactly what he said because yeah, it was coming.
0: Yeah. So, so what he said, he said uh, it was the biggest uh, bubble he's ever seen. Let, let me pull it up here for you guys uh, as far as the actual tweet goes. He says, uh, people always ask me uh, what is going on in the market. He says, it's simple. Greatest speculation bubble of all time in all things by two orders of magneton. Hashtag Flying Pigs360, he says. Okay. Yeah. And that's
2: a Pokemon. <laughs> yeah. That, that's a Pokemon? <laughs>
0: exactly. Magneton. You mean magnitude? Yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. Mag- magneton. magneton. Yeah. Did I say magneton. Dude, I was watching. <laughs> listen, listen, I was watching a Pokemon uh, unboxing right before we got on here, and the guy pulled a magneton.
3: <laughs> is it he Leon? Magneton
0: holographic. Poke Rev. Sorry,
3: pokey, pokey rev. Yeah. Oh gosh. Wait, so so anyway, so are, <laughs> are you calculating
2: the the uh, magnitude there? I'm I'm not sure I understand. So so two orders of magnitude is what a hundred, right? Times a hundred.
0: I don't know. I think he's just trolling, or do you think he's just he's full serious? That's the big question. Um, I think he's very very serious. We know he is short Tesla, if I recall right, Um, and it sounds like he's he's very very serious, and I think he's probably looking at everything going on, right? Not just, I think he's probably watching, you know, what happened with AMC stock GameStop. I think he probably watched what's happened in the cryptocurrency market, which he's he's said many times that, you know, uh, that's just like speculation mania, right? Um, He's seen what has kind of happened with, (laughs) we just talked about Pokemon cards. Look at the value of that, right? You look at NFTs, right? You look at real estate, you look at almost anything, right? Even some like sports cards and stuff like that. It's gone crazy. And so he's probably watching all that and he's saying, hmm, this looks like some sort of massive bubble set up. But what what do you think, Kevin? Because you're obviously super long Tesla stock. He's short in Tesla stock. What, What do you think? What do you think?
1: Yeah. I mean, I, th- I think a lot of his basis is uh, that uh, if you print 25% of the money that exists in the world, there's no way you can't have inflation. And, uh, and this is a debate obviously that, we, that we've that we had many times on, on the channel here. And uh, it's it's one that's probably the greatest debate in the finance community right now is that, are we going to have long-term inflation uh, how high is it going to be? And I think most people are just questioning what, what number is it going to be? We know it's here. <laughs> it's just how high, right? Uh, it, and I, I have this, this belief that uh, obviously inflation will inflect downwards towards the end of the year, September, October, towards the end of the year, uh, Michael Burry has precisely the opposite expectation. Uh, and so uh, if, if you are expecting high inflation, what he's doing, I think is accurate. Uh, short companies whose cash flows are in the future, a la Tesla, uh, short bonds, which is what he's doing, and go long on, on very low, uh, uh, low multiple stocks, which um, could be Google, could even honestly be uh, your favorite, Jeremy. Corsair, you know, could it, like companies that are making money today that that are very, uh, very well valued or very cheaply valued. Uh, you know, Corsair is selling for like nine times, right? <laughs> it's something ridiculously low. So uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think it just comes down to what side of the debate are you on.
3: <laughs> what, what do you
0: think, Graham, about all that?
3: Yeah, I remember. When was it? I think two years ago, he was talking about how the uh, index funds were a bubble. That yeah, was a bubble, bubble. Two years ago, he said that. Yeah. Now, whether or not that's the case, uh, yet to be seen. But my well, thing is. That- is-
1: yeah. Uh, just to reiterate really quick, with, with, yeah. and of course continue, sorry, but what's crazy is index funds have done the best over the last uh, six months here.
3: Uh, you know, they've just crushed everything else. So yeah. but anyway, keep going. But maybe that's because it's a bubble, Kevin. Um, it's a bubble. Think about a that. bubble. <laughs> you know, here's my thinking is that my, uh, Michael Burry's been right quite a few times and uh, shorting Tesla, didn't he short that in January when it was like $850? I, I don't know if he still has that position today. He was Right back then Mm -hmm. at least, Um, but he could be throwing out, this is short, this is a bubble, that's a bubble, and all he needs is one or two of them, and then everyone's going to be like, wow, he called it, and then all the other ones, he could say, well, it's still a bubble. It just hasn't popped yet, so Mm -hmm. my thinking is that whether or not we're in a bubble, I mean, who knows, but even if we are, it could go for quite some time. I mean, this could still double from here on out, and even if it falls 50% it's still the same price as where it is today. So none of us could really predict that, but I do think there are some things out there that are driving up prices beyond what's reasonable. I've said this before, I talk about this all the time, but the used car market right now is stupid. It's absolutely stupid what cars are selling for. And you know, what's funny. I just, for fun, I've always wanted a Honda S 2000 and I went on eBay just to see what they're selling for. Now, the thing is like 40 grand for a 2000 something Honda, s2000 that, that it's a great car but just every used car right now is 30 percent higher than it should be there's some stuff out there that to me just doesn't make sense yeah well, Andre, I, I
2: agree, I agree with Graham. the thing about making predictions to me it's never made any sense to make any predictions unless you give me a timeline like if you don't give me a timeline it doesn't make any sense to say anything ever like i could tell you right now bitcoin's gonna crash do, am I going to like look like a genius when it does eventually? <laughs> I guess I will. But can you give me like at least a time frame? That way I know. And I'd be super interested to know Michael Burry's record as far as the things he's predicted that he got wrong. Like, I guess index yeah. funds. I don't know. Did he get it wrong? Maybe. Maybe eventually he'll be right. But, again, it doesn't make any sense to make predictions unless you give timelines. Otherwise, you're not saying anything.
0: Sky it's is blue. A- <laughs> okay. <laughs> i love yeah, it man that, that, that's, that's so right yeah because yeah. he was uh even even in the the you know the uh, the housing situation if i recall he was two or maybe even three years early on that and i think i think he was getting destroyed and a lot of his investors were actually pulling out or getting scared and then uh eventually it happened and it, and it pulled out just in time you know as far as the market crashing but that's a really good point and um yeah, it's just funny the way, you know, if, you, if you're if you a short seller, you you go negative on something and you can make a, a big name for yourself. But it seems like, you know, if you go long something and, you know, I brought this up in that video earlier, like you could get stock after stock after stock, right? No, no one cares about you. But you get that one bad thing to go wrong, that one put option, and all of a sudden you're hailed as a genius, man interesting how that works um the the only caveat i think jeremy in
2: terms of like you look more like a genius when you short something is that when you're shorting something you typically are going against the grain you're getting you're you're going against the flow right so so it makes you seem a lot smarter than when you're getting everything right because everything else is going up in value as well so yeah i could i could see why people that are that short assets get more credit for it but i don't know what do you think
0: yeah, th- that's a good point, uh, no doubt. That's a, that's actually a really good point. You know, so, something I was I was bringing out in that video earlier is, you know, we were talking about the the market in general, and I was looking at, like, the Dow, for instance. I just pulled up the Dow. Because everybody, you know, even though if you're really in the market, you usually paid more attention to the S&P 500 or maybe the, the NASDAQ, but the Dow is still that thing everybody looks at as, like, the you know, the overall thing. Like, what's the Dow today? Oh, the Dow was down 5%, right? So, you know, in that video I was talking about, like, Since you know, the Dow in 1999 was over 11,000, right? So basically the Dow has tripled up in the past 22 years, which is not that great when you really think about it. And especially when you consider like the value of the dollar since 1999 has gone through the floor, right? I mean, I'm assuming you could have bought a lot more for your money in 1999 than you could in 2021, right? And the market's only tripled. And then I was looking, you know, you could could cherry pick. We could look at 2007, the Dow was over 14,000, right? Dow today's thirty four thousand. That's what fourteen years have passed, and all we've gotten is a little over a double up. That's not that's not a good performance. You know what I mean? Um, so if we pull up like a one year, it's like whoa, we did amazing. Well, yeah, we also had the fastest stock market crash in history, right? In, in twenty in, in twenty twenty. So I feel like there's always things you can kind of cherry pick to make the market look really overvalued or undervalued, depending upon you know what you're looking at. If you look at trailing twelve month PEs right now, look really high on the market. But if you look at forward P's, it's like, oh, it's not as bad, right? Um, But, of course, if you're looking at trailing 12-month P's, you're talking about, you know, what happened over the last 12 months, which is not going to be realistic for what's going to happen in the next 12 months, right? So, yeah. So, uh, Sorry, did he
2: give a reason why he thinks it's overvalued? I mean, because saying a stock is overvalued just because the price seems high isn't really saying much. So did he give a, like a particular reason why he thought the market was overvalued or is he just like just, just blanket statement like everything's a bubble?
0: Yeah, not, not from what I've seen. He's just calling everything a bubble. And that's what's kind of frustrating, because, you know, if you're going to, you know, let's say short Tesla and, and you want to, you know, be negative on Tesla. Like, give me give me your reasons why you're doing that. And, mm-hmm. you know, another point I'll bring up in regards to Tesla, you know. A lot of a lot of people have lost a lot of money trying to short Tesla over the past ten years. You know what I mean? Like Jim Chanos and all these guys. You know they 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 thought it was the short. They thought it was the short, and then they just get absolutely obliterated. I, I mean, Kevin, like, why why do these guys keep wanting to short Tesla? Like, what is the fascination with let's short Tesla, man? What is it about it? I think it's just such an
1: easy target because mm-hmm. they're trying to change so much, uh, and it's it's very easy to. Uh, uh, to, to look at all the things that can go wrong and have gone wrong. You know, oh, Tesla doesn't want to use radar. They lose their certification for lane keep assist. Oh, Tesla's, you know, had a roof fly off. That's it. Their quality control is garbage. You know, it's it's so easy to point to all of those things and, and riff them off basically about uh, how, how everything at Tesla sucks when uh, reality is they're, they're up against some major, major, like hard challenges to actually change the car world, right? Uh, and and if they do, I think they're, they're which I expect they're going to be tremendously successful. I don't, I don't think uh, folks recognize the potential of them being larger than Toyota. Toyota selling what ten twelve million cars a year, that could be Tesla at fourteen fifteen million, and they don't even have to produce that many to be very profitable for most investors. I mean, if they just get to one to two million a year, pff, the, the, you know, and, and and go there consistently. Uh, the people will make money, but, uh, for now, gosh, it's easy to bag on a company while they're trying to develop any, any automotive company, boy, it's tough. And just look at Lordstown motors, the poor people writing in their earnings yeah. report. Like, Hey, we're basically going bankrupt. We got just enough money to maybe get our beta car out. Uh, but uh, yeah, if we want to actually produce anything, we're going to have to basically dilute any of our
3: shareholders and raise more money. Cause it's, it's so expensive. Hmm. I wouldn't be surprised if ride somehow becomes the next, uh, momentum stock. As they call it. Mm. It seems like every company that does terrible. People are like, you know what? And especially they got such a great ticker. Ride. Ride. <laughs> yeah. Ride that to the moon. <laughs> How could you <laughs> close off the tongue? I I wouldn't I mean, be surprised would if someone says, hey, this is it. This is our that stock. Would, that would save the company because what they, they would
1: immediately take advantage of that issue yeah. either debt or shares, which they should. And that would save the company. They need a bailout. And so, yeah, but what's funny is people are now trying to weaponize uh, Redditors, and, and I think it's starting to work in some cases because I think you get people who are hedgies that are posting uh, articles on, on, uh, on Wall Street bets dressed up as hedgies, uh, or, or sorry, dressed up as Wall Street bettors. And then they'll, you know, probably have multiple algorithms or bots or whatever that can vote it up, so it gets the velocity to get the the uh, interaction, and uh, and I'm sure there are countermeasures to this, but I, I I wouldn't be surprised if that's happening a lot more than we think, and uh, I mean look at uh, Paul Tudor Jones or whatever he was on CNBC the other day, and he's going, oh. Yeah. You know, if, if the Fed doesn't do something about inflation, the first thing I'm doing on on uh, Wednesday is that the biggest signal ever is I'm going all in on inflation trades because they're going to double or triple. And, and, you know, they're very, very shorted. They're very, very short. All it would take is some... Like like a Reddit crowd to come in here and it would mm-hmm. double or triple. It's very shorted. You know, he's like <laughs> emphasizing like shorted, right? Uh, and it's like it's just like pure just bait at this point to try to weaponize the Wall Street bets
2: movement. And it, I don't know, it's a mess. Yeah, that's uh, an interesting uh, perspective. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it's it's also hard to tell, you know, if Bitcoin's overvalued because I know he said Bitcoin's a bubble as well, and I think it's really hard to judge what Bitcoin's true value really is just yeah. based on supply and demand. So, I'm not sure where he's getting that guess either. I am I'm sure Bitcoin will settle like we said 20,000. That's pretty much it's going to it's low when it crashes. Yeah. But I don't yeah. know. What do you guys think would, would cause this bubble to pop well, for real?
0: Well, uh, hold on. I want I want to add one more thing to what Yeah, I, I want to add one more thing to what Kevin was saying there cuz uh, I've been I was thinking about that for the last couple months in regards to like Wall Street bets and I and I, I think we might might have brought it up one time. But, like, it wouldn't be that costly to really, like, take over Wall Street bets, to be honest, in terms of, like, hiring people in, let's say, a very, very low-wage country and just having an army of people that just downvote whatever, you know, post you want and upvote whatever you want. It would not be costly. Never mind that if you're a Dude, that's cake. I mean, think about what happens in our YouTube comments section with all those scam comments, you know what I mean, and how people upvote that. That's little. That's very, very little stuff. Imagine you're you've got, you know, billions of dollars on the line. That, that's it's, happened before.
2: Yeah. That's happened with Bitcoin before and the Bitcoin subreddit as well.
0: Has I, it? Yeah. And so that, I, that's I, what I'm like. Yeah. yeah, it's a real thing that I think people should be at least considering and thinking about and is probably happening and probably will happen more in the future. And, and also, what's the repercussions for that? Is SEC going to even know about that? Did, did, would they even care? Oh, you you're, you you took over Wall Street bets and you downvoted all these other posts and you upvoted all your own posts. There's no law about that. There's no what's that
3: going to do? Yeah, you know what I, mean? I mean realistically, tracing that back to a person, and but even then, it's like uh, they they have to be able to prove so much and really go after you on such a high level. I don't realistically, I can't see that happening on Reddit. Just blame the Russians.
2: That's all you need. <laughs>
3: yeah, my account just got hacked. It wasn't even me. Someone else did it. I left my computer open in a public spot.
0: <laughs> yeah, I, I, I'm pretty sure nowhere in the law it states that you can't uh, hire an army out of you know whatever country and just have them go in there and just take over. So I don't know. That, that's a whole other subject for another day. But yeah, you brought up a good point, uh, Andre. You know about the kind of the, the crash and what would it what would it take? I would love to hear your perspective, maybe first on, on what you think, and then um, also if you don't mind, just uh, circling back to the Michael Burry just to finish him off there. You know what what is your opinion about him and kind of oh, Bitcoin's a bubble and and just you know hearing somebody like him with influence say oh Bitcoin's a bubble or cryptos in general are a bubble and and things like that.
2: Yeah, well, I think we talked about him before, and the general consensus was that uh, you know, you can make so many predictions and eventually you'll be right. And you'll look like a genius. And I'm I'm sure he believes what he's saying. I don't think he's manipulating the market. I don't think he's doing it for fun. I really do think he believes what he says, but without that timeline, I just, it doesn't make any sense to me why he'd make that prediction. Now, as far as what it would take to crash the markets, I think it's kind of different for each asset class. Like for example, in real estate, it might be interest rates. For stocks, it might be you know us discovering that Reddit is highly manipulated, so the whole narrative changes to where you yes. can't trust Reddit, you can't trust Wall Street bets. Who knows that there could be that? Um, you know, for real estate, there's interest rates for for Bitcoin. There could be just uh, everybody an exodus away from Bitcoin, and then Elon starts <laughs> talking crap on Twitter. Like, it could be a number of things. But I do think that whichever one it happens to. I do think they're kind of interconnected. So like once one narrative takes over in one asset class and it really tanks it, I could see that fear spilling over into other assets. Yeah. And because I think they're so highly connected, I think that's what it might take to, to crash a market entirely. But each of them has their own different catalysts
1: yeah I, I think that's totally right on i mean look at uh even just uh how, how things started uh in, in this year i mean crypto is skyrocketing while at the same time tech all of a sudden gets mega shorted and and there goes tech rolls over you know then you get the rollover in uh in, in momentum stocks in and you know march april when they weren't doing too hot before obviously recently then you get the rollover in in uh cryptos starting at the end of april beginning of may and, and it's it's uh they all kind of follow their own little patterns, but, uh, they each get their turn. I like to say, <laughs> yeah. with
3: the exception of index
1: fund, given that uh, index funds, given that all this rolling over is happening <laughs> on the inside, it's like the level of index funds, they keep going up, but all this madness is happening.
3: Ah, <laughs> uh, because it's a bubble. going <laughs> to any day now. Yeah. But no, I, I don't know. I think that anything that we could predict is probably priced into some level, like, we know at some point they're going to raise interest rates. We know at some point the Fed's going to stop purchasing bonds. So a lot of these measures that are in place today, at some point, are going to end. And they're and they're making it very clear: hey, we're probably going to you know simmer down a little bit in like 2023. We'll see where we're at. We're not doing any changes. Like they're telling us. So I think it would have to take another black swan event. That's what I honestly believe. But but like Andre, I mean, everything is going to be separate like tech is going to be separate from growth is going to be separate from crypto It's probably going to be separate from real estate but i think it's got to take another black swan event but even but even if a black swan event
2: happens which i mean obviously it did with covid we didn't let the free market do its thing we were like oh, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> because <laughs> that's
3: because you have to pick between the lesser of two evils either you you let the economy and just people go fend for themselves and sure the rich people are gonna gonna swoop in and buy at a certain price and you're going to own everything else or you support the markets and you artificially raise it until it's good enough again on its own. But don't Either way, I think there's, there's, there's a cost benefit of both scenarios and they choose the one with maybe lesser ramifications for the population. But, but here's a crazy theory. Doesn't if, if they let the free market do its thing, wouldn't
2: that be helpful towards the general population more so than not letting it crash? Because no. if it did Crash? Who's who? Who are the people that are losing money the most? It's the wealthier people, right? So by no. protecting the markets, who are you really protecting? You're protecting more of the wealthy class of
3: people who are more invested. No, really- I would disagree. I think if you let the if you let the markets do their thing, the wealthy people are going to benefit way more. Imagine the people sitting on tens of or hundreds of millions in cash, just waiting for people to get desperate enough, be like, I I gotta sell my business. Just give me anything to get me out of this. I can't tell you. I have a good friend of mine. Who bought, like, who, uh, who bought a uh, like a franchise business his business shut down and he uh, was forced to stay open certain days and take takeout deliveries because it's a franchise despite him getting no orders so every day it's costing him money. He would have paid for someone to take over this business because things were getting bad enough he would have and, and no one was was out there buying it. but my point being that would have gotten probably five times worse. it would have gotten two magnitudes worse had the free market just done its thing and you would have the the wealthy people to scoop up every deal they could gosh
2: i don't know i just feel like letting free markets run and do their thing would be much more beneficial towards more people Whoa. than not just because Andre. when
0: you're- yeah. Hey, you know, I mean, if they let that happen, we'd be at 25, 30% unemployment right now. It would be the Great Depression right now. I'm fully well, convinced of that. Well, that's um, assuming that the stock market is related to the economy,
2: right? Like, is that what you're saying? No,
0: that's assuming. No, because the, the, if we didn't pump all that stimulus money out there, if the Fed didn't step in and say everybody can get a loan and the PPP and all that stuff, if the Fed didn't backstop all this, I'm fully convinced we'd be sitting at 25, 30% unemployment right now. No, that's true yeah ugly on ugly and so you know that would be a lot of families in a real tough situation right now right oh, that's true. Um, instead we have maybe a situation where we have too much money and things are just going up in value right and and we got this other situation on our hands to handle right but it's a very different conversation than if everybody's struggling and you know I said, yeah, yeah.
2: I suppose like it benefits the wealthy regardless of what we're doing. If we're propping oh. up the market, guess who's getting richer? The wealthy. If you let the markets fall, guess who's going to be buying everything? The people with money. So I guess you could argue it either way.
3: Yeah. yeah, but yeah. At, least, at least if you prop up the market, you're not going to get 25% unemployment. So it's like either way, you're right. I mean, people who t- participate in the markets are, are going to be the ones making money regardless of where you are in the totem pole. But if you're invested, that's good. Right. I and that
1: honestly makes a little bit of an argument to, Hey, wh- what if we're able to print all this money, 25% of the world's money, we're able to print in, in a matter of a year, all the stimulus money. And then wh- what if all of a sudden there's no inflation? It, it just goes away. The supply chain problems go away. The valuations are higher. Why are the valuations higher? Cause everybody's got more freaking money. So everybody's got more money. Returns, uh, expected returns go down. Uh, Long run expected returns go down a few percent. You know, maybe index funds don't return uh, 7% year over year anymore like they used to. They return 4%, but people are okay with it because they got more money. Because look at what's happening in real estate. You got rents went up like 5% uh, year over year. Housing prices went up 15 to 20%, but nobody cares. The cash flow is less because they're willing to accept the lower return because they just want a return. So they're willing to take a lower return. It's it's just all it is is return compression. It doesn't have to be a bubble if everybody's willing to just here we go. We're good. We're just willing to accept less. In the meantime, you'll know on AMC.
2: But it just seems like asset inflation and, and, and taking on that risk affects more so the poorer people because it's just like crazy inflated prices and they're the ones taking the bigger risk. So I don't know. I think it's a complicated, complicated issue. I don't know.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's totally complicated, but I mean, like what's, what's an easier market for somebody who's poor to be able to get a, to get a loan, to go to college or trade school, get a job and, and, and actually, you know, try to progress and and start building wealth, even though asset prices are higher, what's an easier start for somebody and coming out in 2009, graduating and nobody's hiring. Uh, Now you got a degree, but nobody's freaking hiring. Uh, And and so you're you're epic screwed. So it's kind of like Graham said, it's like either way, it's like it's just the rich get richer. It's always the case. It's just which is like the lesser of two evils. It's kind of like the Fed like, hey, we're cranking the money printer so fast, we kind of want to stop. But if we stop, well, then that makes it harder for blacks and Hispanics to catch up. Because we're, we're waiting for their unemployment rates to go down from 8 or 9%, which is where they are now, while white people's unemployment's like, uh, you know, 5%. So, you know.
2: Right. Well, a good example, like, for example, when 2008 happened uh, and real estate prices collapsed, my parents were able to buy a house that they live in here for like $125,000, believe it or not. It was basically at the bottom of the market. Wow. Yeah. And, and so if you compare which would have been the better scenario to buy, 2008 or today, when prices are much more inflated. I would say 2008, even though unemployment was high, things were falling apart, at least the asset prices were more affordable. And in today's markets, I'm not sure they would be able to afford that same house, which has now grown to $300,000 based on their salaries. So I don't know. Yeah, I,
0: But that's but you're
3: comparing to- apples to oranges because you could have bought stocks that were 50, 60% off. Some of them at a 70% discount. You're going to buying airlines and car companies back then. I was buying Ford at like $5 a share, uh, it, which was unbelievable. 2008 was just an anomaly for real estate. So, this was very much a dip for the stocks, and real estate tends to lag. And I really think that by the time uh, real estate would have been hit, which would have probably been six to 12 months later, the economy was already back for the most part. Oh, sorry, the, this, the markets were, were already back. So, real estate never had time to dip like the stock market did.
0: Yeah, I, I mean, I, I think definitely the, the, the middle class or even under the middle class are the ones that got hit the worst by that. I mean, I have a friend who, you know, he bought a house in North Las Vegas, you know, this is 2007 or six or seven, and he paid over 400,000 for it you know, by 2009, it was worth 200,000. And so he, he ended up just, you know, walking away from it or doing a short sale or whatever. Uh, you know, my, my wife's parents, you know, uh, they had the variable rate. So that rate jumped up, they couldn't afford it anymore Had a foreclose on that house. So I mean, the, the middle class and under the middle class really are the ones that get screwed in any type of real economic turmoil. They're the ones that get it the worst. Um, rich people are just less rich. That that's kind of the way it works, right? Yeah, I'm, I'm just
2: I'm just making the poise uh, the point for the really like middle lower middle class people, which is where my parents came from. So that that's that's why I <laughs> just making that. Yeah,
0: point. I think all of us <laughs> did. Yeah. Yeah. The problem is the 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 you know most folks that are in that that group, unless you had on if you had employment still, most folks couldn't. Yeah. They couldn't even take advantage of it, man. There were, there were deals everywhere, but just people couldn't afford it. You know, it's just like you couldn't get financing. I mean, I remember, uh, you know, it was an interesting time to enter the workforce, you know, when I was entering the workforce, 2008, 2009 at Walgreens, man, I had assistant managers, you know, that had business, you know, degrees, master's degrees working as assistant managers at Walgreens, making like 34 K a year. And it's like, Oh, gosh, that's just sad man. You went to school for four six years, took on all that debt and you're, you're, you know, but that was that was what we had at that time. Like you just there weren't the jobs out there, man. And so right. you had to do whatever you took just to to make ends meet. Right. Um, right. Where and man, it's crazy, it, you know, to watch what's going on right now. Right. Uh, you know, entering the workforce when myself and a lot of us did. Right. And now seeing everywhere now hiring signs, help want it places are having to close the inside dining rooms cause they don't have enough staff. And even if they, they, they are, are, you know, paying more, like uh, there was a McDonald's that you can't even like go into because they don't have enough staff to, you know, run the inside part. And so I'm just like, it's just a crazy time period we're going through man right now where it's just like places can't even get the workers they need. It, it's nuts, man. Yeah. Um, it,
3: it's also quite shocking to think that, uh, the Fed will never let the market get bad enough to truly collapse, and I mean it's good and bad. It's good in the sense that that gives you confidence that, like, if you invest in the markets, chances are even if things get bad temporarily, they're going to step in and kind of save you. But it's also scary to think that, like, at this point, they won't let the markets fail, except for They'll crypto. Go. They'll let those fail. They'll let, They'll let those fail. They'll go first. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but everything else, there are so many. Uh, uh backstops in place where it's like if this happens okay we'll do this if it gets, gets lower okay we'll do this uh even to the point of like we're gonna stop trading remember that in uh in march the stock market circuit breakers and it just kept oh, yeah. getting hit stop 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 all right trading is done today i mean they really do everything they can to make sure the market doesn't
2: fall it's what do you guys what do you guys think what would, would need to happen for that to change is that it just uh replacing people in congress change. or is that just never going to change from this point? i yeah. think it's
0: going to change you would have to change everybody's mentality back to a very old school mentality around every man fights for his own bread and it's every dog for himself and we're just you know gary vaynerchuk said it many years ago he's like we're way too soft for that now you know what i mean and and you know not even to use the word soft it's just like who wants to go back there? You know what I mean? Like, no, who wants I hope to see? Who, yeah, who wants to see twenty-five percent unemployment, thirty percent unemployment? I don't think anybody wants to see that. Then see a war, right? Um, you know, another world war or something like that. Like, we don't want to see that. Like, it's just like it's a bad time, man. You know, so I don't think I don't think it's possible we go back there because I just don't think people would, you know, allow it. So yeah, now I think he, what's realistically
3: going to happen is a lot of money is going to get printed and taxes are going up. Hmm. That that that's realistically what's gonna happen. And I think they say it's you know four hundred thousand and over. Just wait. And pretty soon it'll be okay. Now it's three hundred and fifty. Now it's three hundred thousand. Now it's two fifty. I think it's gonna keep going down. That's what I Save think. Us, <laughs> Save us, Kevin. Save us. <laughs> Jeez. And yeah. no California is pretty soon it's like, oh you know thirteen point three? Let's just make that an even fourteen. plus oh plus another another one percent tax if you make more than five million a year just just one percent it only affects point zero zero three percent of people don't worry about it that's that's, you know
1: there was a a guy i don't know the exact details but uh, because i read it and i'm like this is not going to happen or at least i hope not uh well not that it would really affect any of us at this point but there was somebody who was thinking about doing a uh like a a uh, millionaire's tax in Congress, somebody proposed this one time. And this is the federal Congress proposed a one time, like uh, certain percentage. was like, I don't know, one, two to 5%, depending on how much you had uh, any an amount of net worth over $50 million were taking like 2%. And any oh, yeah. amount over a hundred mil, it was like 5%, was just like one time. And I'm like, Oh no, it'll, it'll just end up being recurring every year
3: or something yeah. like that. Kevin. Uh, look, but yeah, yeah I, I, stuff like that, I could see happening. We're going to go off topic just for, like, 30 seconds here. Can you tell us why they don't do a flat tax and why that wouldn't work? Because that's been the one thing that can – like, I've always just wished flat tax. Me? Yeah. No, I'm just curious. Oh. Like In general, you would know more about this. I'm not familiar with it. I would
1: this. just like to super, super quick. Uh, yeah. So a flat tax is deemed unfair to – uh, people who make less money it, it makes more sense to have a progressive uh, tax than a flat tax because with the progressive tax you're paying very very little percentage wise of of your money when you're making twenty thousand dollars maybe you're paying eight percent in total taxes right when you're making uh, ten million dollars you're you're paying like Fifty-eight percent of your money, which is is deemed to be a relatively similar burden, uh, so and, and that's what they're looking at. Somebody making twenty thousand dollars, paying eighteen hundred dollars or whatever in taxes, might be burdened uh, roughly the same as somebody who's making ten mil, seeing you know five and a half million dollars go out the door, uh, and, and so it's it's all about that that equitable burden is what they're trying to create. But I mean, then for entrepreneurs, it's like, why the f am I working? <laughs> you know, so it's a balance.
2: Yeah. Without getting too much into the weeds, because I'm sure we're losing people talking about taxes. But have you thought we're about uh, it. we're talking about flat taxes and it goes up?
3: <laughs> uh, what about uh, I read taxes all the comments
2: here on consumption? Uh, what sorry? What about a what taxation based on consumption?
1: Yeah, I mean that's that's an issue as well. I mean we already don't pay grocery taxes, right? It's because we're trying to protect people from. Uh, it, basically getting regressively taxed where it's like, well, you know, poor people spend a disproportionate amount of their, their income on goods and services than wealthy people do. Uh, now w- usually where people go, okay, well then maybe the best consumption tax is just like a luxury tax where right. private jets and yachts and yeah, Dom, right. Parion, you know, and, and all of the really expensive stuff, uh, gets, uh, gets, uh, mega taxed but then again it's all of the wealthy people that have the money to donate to political campaigns that are like hey uh, you know I'll donate to you you get rid of
3: that yacht tax
1: you know whereas you know the poor people don't really have any power so but you know problem.
3: what else I was thinking on that on that chain of thought if you do a luxury tax all of a sudden wealthy people would be incentivized to spend less and that means less money going back into the economy cuz right yeah, well, now first, I was thinking he, yeah, yeah
1: where, oh, where because, people just go yeah. buy it in a
3: different country and then they get the tax revenue.
0: <laughs> right. You know, that's, that's right. That's what me,
3: with, it's, Oh, good. Yeah. Right go, now go. for me, it's weird because I feel like there's a frugality tax. The fact that I don't spend money, now I pay more tax. And it's almost getting to a point now where it's better now, start spending money, uh, reinvesting back into a business because that gives you a write off and lowers your tax rate and, and and now you're putting money in the economy so yeah that's I, I think they want to encourage more spending if anything for sure yeah anything they can do to encourage
1: spending is is uh, great i mean there's there's a reason why it's like oh let's bring back the 100% meal deduction you know to try to give back to restaurants and stuff tax uh, look people people spend based on taxation. It makes sense to me. I mean, I'm more willing to buy cameras for the office because it's a write-off than if it weren't, you know, cause I'm getting like a 50% off coupon. So, so why not? So, right.
0: A hundred percent. No, that makes sense guys. Uh, man, that, that brought me to so so many other subjects we could get on, uh, that I, I, we probably won't go over, but if we have time in this video, we'd go over like, uh, like countries getting together and agreeing, uh, that they're going to have a 15% uh, you know, corporate tax rate throughout the world. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but we're not going to touch that. Maybe, that maybe never it never happen. happen. Yeah.
3: <laughs> and then you get an exit, but then there's an exit tax. So you can't cool. escape it.
0: Yeah, and and also you get into like that and then you kind of get into globalism and all these countries working together and you're not really your own country, other subjects. So have you guys, so here's something to bring everybody down even more. Prices might get even more expensive to everything. I don't know how many people have heard this, kind of some news on the DL, but China ports are now taking like at least 16 days to get uh, ships docked or undocked and all that stuff. Usually it's about a half a day from what I was reading. And so what they're talking about is All this supply chain stuff that's been issues, which if you've ordered almost anything in this world (laughs) recently, you know about supply chain issues, furniture, anything that's made internationally, especially, right? Uh, Cars. I mean, I've gone by some dealerships recently and I'm like, holy smokes, that lot is empty. Like, it's rare to ever see car dealerships where they're empty, right? Or like even remotely empty. So I'm not sure did you guys hear about that? And uh, you know, do you have any thoughts on this whole supply chain issues and when it will fix itself? So you're you're telling me if I want to build a $3 million house, and I want to source my
2: materials in China, I have to wait 16 days instead of half a day?
0: Yeah. So, uh, from what I understanding, the, the unloading, loading of, of ships in China is like at 16 yeah. days and I heard it's a mess here in the States too. I haven't looked into what's going on in the States, but I heard <laughs> it's, it's still messy even in the, uh, the long beach ports and, uh, South Carolina and, and other places as well. But, um, yeah, China is obviously the lifeline of the United States economy for the most part in terms of getting stuff, right. They make, they make like half our stuff, probably if not more than half our stuff. So, uh, Man, that's just a messy situation, guys. I'm just like, I don't know when this fixes itself. I don't know if we're talking like a month or like six months or 12 months. It's a mess, so man. What, what, what does it affect? Is it just
2: you talking about like retail or, or what, it, what prices?
0: Everything. I mean, you, Everything. you think about it, right? Because like the, there's a car shortage and there's like issues around getting like semiconductors for cars, right? And so that's causing like production problems with you know auto manufacturers, right? But then you think about how much goes into making an automobile, right? Uh, you know, whether you're talking about an ice car or an electric vehicle, right? There's so many parts and components of that that come from so many different parts of the world. So if the supply chain is all bottlenecked, right? All of a sudden we're in this situation where, you know, it's like, uh, how do you how do you make this car? If All it takes is you're missing a few parts and you can't make the car, right? You're missing one critical component of the car and the car is not made. Um, And you can try to get it from somewhere else, but if the other places have supply chain issues as well, right, you're still out of luck.
2: So yeah, I guess temporarily prices go up and then they settle down once people start competing with each other, right? That's that's Kevin's thesis. I oh, know. Is uh, yeah. Temporarily, yeah, the only problem is like if companies just settle down, they're like, well, if people are willing to pay these prices, let's just keep them.
3: And how long that's is that might take? Kevin, right. that's what I think. Uh, Kevin disagrees and he said, well, no, there's, someone's going to lower prices somewhere and eventually it's going to come down. I'm a firm believer that it's going to start at the bottom. All of a sudden, the the manufacturers, wherever they're getting the materials, realize that Wait a second, we could be charging more. The next people, we could be charging more. The next people, we could be charging more. They're paying it. And then it slowly works its way to the consumer. That's what I think. And it's For all sure. going to even out at a certain point. There's more money in circulation now that, that can pay for it. So I, I think, I think things are going to stay somewhat high. Maybe not. As high as narrative. Narrative. Sorry. The inflation narrative is alive. It's real. I don't know if it's, I wouldn't call it inflation. I think uh, it uh, inflation. It, it, It's, it, it's artificial that lumber, by the way, went down. Lumber started to go down for the first time in, uh, what, like 10 months. Wow. It's still double. It's still double what it, what it once was, but it's not triple anymore. Have you guys so, noted that the real estate market is kind of cooling
2: off? It's, it's happening in Vegas. Like our, our. Our real estate is definitely slowing down, but maybe that's just like a seasonal thing. I don't know. You guys would know. Where are you,
3: where are you seeing that? I've seen yeah. the only reason it's slowing down is because sales had not been as high because yeah. builders can't build enough to satisfy the demand. But when you look at prices, prices mm. keep going up. So when you see like home sales slow down, it's like it, 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 it's clickbaity Cause it makes you think, oh, the market's slowing down, but it's not, it's just, they can't build enough. So people can't buy houses
0: that don't exist. That's all it is. That's my understanding, at least. Yeah, a lot, of, a lot of home builders, especially here in Vegas, they just sold through inventory way quicker than they expected. And now a lot of them are getting tricky and, and, and um, you know, uh, I don't know what I want to call them, but let's just put it this way. Like, you know, Graham and Graham and my community, right? They're only releasing now. They don't have that many lots left, but they're only releasing like two a month. And then they're having like 20, 30, 40 people bid on that lot so they get this price action where it just goes crazy right and then they're also have gone up massively just on the, the cost to actually build the house itself right and so if you're the home builder it's ingenious right let's let's limit the amount of lots it kind of sounds a little evil right some people are be really like that's a little evil but for the home builder from their perspective they want top dollar for that and if that means somebody's going to pay double what that lot is you know was worth a few months ago I know. Hold on. Why weird. are not we doing
2: this? My question is, why are not we doing this right now? <laughs> why are we not buying lots and building real estate on top of it? Yeah. I remember yeah. at the time when I was looking in your area, Jeremy, lot premiums were like two hundred grand. So that you're telling me that now they're up from that? Yeah. Like oh, the, massively. The, the minimum was two hundred grand. That was like the, about the entrance price.
0: You're not. Sure you're not like there under a million. <laughs> really?
2: So they've sold yeah. out of them. Like,
0: yeah. 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 The, the The last bunch will go for at least 1 million just for the pure land, if not probably 1.5. Okay. Um, I would almost guarantee that. And then you got to still build the house. So, but that's the way yeah. they're doing it. Yeah. so that, yeah, that gets back to think, the point, Andre. Yeah. yeah.
3: Well, Andre, when you're talking about going and buying land and, and then building a house and selling it, the only issue with that is that by the time you finish construction, the market could very well have changed. Like imagine you're spending right now, like 30% premiums across everything. And then by the time you finish the house a year and a half later, because everything is so delayed, the price of materials came down and now all of a sudden, like you'd be lucky to like break even on a house because you spent so much on the house itself. Toll Brothers I think was, and a lot of these home builders are in the perfect position where they've been working on these lots for like five years and they happened to be at the right place at the right time to capitalize on this. When you have a house that's like finishing completion now with materials that you bulk ordered a year ago, oh. man, the profit part of me wonders, Jeremy, if it's a good idea to buy Toll Brothers stock. I mean, I see they're at uh, basically an all time high, and I don't yeah. know if this is sustainable or not,
0: but Th- that's why I don't like it. I love Toll Brothers, I love the company. I'm a believer in it long term, but man, you know, housing is is gets commoditized. And right now things are flying high. And whenever you're dealing with a commoditized stock like a Toll Brothers or even like an MU Micron um, or any of those companies, they go through these high periods, man. And right now things are great. But, you know, it's just a matter of time before things start slipping the other way and sales start dipping. And it's just a question of when, right? Is it six months? Is it 12 months? Is it 18 months? Is it 24 months? But eventually it's gonna happen. And then total profits start going this way from the sky high level they're gonna have in 2021, right? And then yeah. all of a sudden it slowly starts to weaken and no one wants to buy a stock when things are going down. Look at Rocket, RKT. Kevin could probably talk about that one, right? I mean, you know, it's it's a hard stock to get people to buy because they're, they're making tons of money still, but they're expected to just do this over the next couple of years, right? where revenue is gonna go down, net income's gonna go down. So, but- I, Oh, I, Tattooed Chef. Yay 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 yay, 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 No, check this out on housing
1: really quick. This is a uh, me, median sale prices on housing it's just, it's literally, look at this, this right here is like the second week, third week here of January, 314,000. I don't even, this is all metros. Uh, And so in the nation, right? And it's literally from 314, this is two week periods here. Next two weeks, I'm sorry, next week, 317, next week, 319, 323, 26, 28, 32. It's literally just going up like $7,000 now a week. And now it's sitting at like, or $4,000 a week. Now it's sitting at 356. I mean, you're just like, Da, da, da,
3: da, 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 it's crazy. Kevin, why, serious question, why are you not selling off some of your real estate? Because I am, for the first time ever, tempted. Wow. I have never been tempted. The only thing holding me back right now is being in the highest tax bracket and just all of a sudden 36% is gone. So like, yeah. hoping, well, if I take a 36% haircut, I got to believe that the market needs to drop 36%. plus some. And then I'm in right. like, you know, th- just the, uh, for low tax rates, like the the tax basis on this oh. is so low too. So it's like, why wouldn't you sell off some of the recently purchased properties?
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, first of all, the argument you gave there is literally like the argument as to when people are like, well, Kevin, why didn't you sell Tesla? And it's like, well, because if I sell it, I'm going to give away 55% and I may as well just take the gamble that it's not going to drop 55%, <laughs> you know? Uh, but uh, anyway, so yeah, I mean, uh, and that's with for really low cost basis stuff. But yeah, stuff recently entered. I mean, stuff that I have under development, I would sell it on a heartbeat. If, if like stuff that I've recently bought, where it's like, look, I don't want to sit through the architecture for the next two years or whatever. Sure, buy it off of me, no problem. I would sell on a heartbeat. Some of my old stuff, it'd be it'd be a problem. Some of the old the old the stuff that I bought like early last year or the uh, the recent houses that I bought that are not development projects, but that are more just like, oh, that was a really good deal where I'm up, you know, a couple hundred grand on individual houses or whatever. What am I going to do with the money? Like, where am I going to put it? So it's like, okay, well, then I get the money. Well, do, do I put more of it in the stock market and now I'm less diversified? Then I pay the taxes on it or do I 1031 exchange so I don't pay the taxes? But if I do that, <laughs> then I'm a buyer in this crappy market, you know? So it's just like, it's... Yeah, yeah,
0: <laughs> yeah that's, sense. A, that's, that's a good point, Kevin. And, and what, what's what been going on? I don't follow uh, you know California or Southern California real estate much. Is, is it super healthy right now? Is it flying as high as other parts of the country? Uh, what's going on there?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think it's the same as just uh, a lot of the different parts of the world or country mostly where you have this. There's nothing on the market, but lots of homes are selling. They're just either selling pre-market on day one uh, or, or just totally privately. Like some of them sell under with coming soon signs, you know? So there's pre-market there's private, which is totally off the market. Uh, and then there's just day one, two, it's gone. And so this gives the impression to newer folks that, ah, there's nothing to buy. Well, yeah, nothing's on the shelves, but as soon as the the inventory comes in, it goes off the shelf, right? It's, it's like, you're stocking up for a hurricane. People are like, oh, the bread came. (laughs) It's crazy. Uh, yeah. I mean, look, it's, it, uh, the one thing that is tempting though is to always stay away from uh, the, the madness of dealing with like uh, with architects and engineers and it's not their fault. It's it's the cities because they will make your life miserable. And so, if you, I mean, Hey, somebody wanted to buy out some development projects. I like what Graham says.
3: So <laughs> <laughs> you may as well, you may as well go through yeah. your portfolio, sell off the ones that don't make sense. Yeah. Uh, if you're able to get a premium on that, yep. you, you may as well. This is a, good time to sell yeah
1: things things (laughs) that take uh
3: because there's also the the uh,
1: you know we were talking about this even before there's there's the opportunity cost of of uh, not just like literally your time but also your like stress levels in in your life like how you you can only put so much stress into the pot of your life (laughs) you know and it's like if you could go in there and just splash some stress out you know
0: that's worth something too A hundred percent, man. That's, that's worth more than money sometimes. Uh, So Kevin, by the way, how many, just real quick, how many properties uh, are we talking you have nowadays?
1: Uh, Like 24, 23, 24, something like that. But the last, Yeah, it's a lot. Uh, They honestly, all of them that are like, all of them that where we stuck to our formula, where it's just like, you go in, you spend 30, 50 grand, uh, fix it up, you know, put in the new furnace, the new flooring, paint, light fixtures, whatever those are crushing it man like we have amazing tenants uh, they make so much money uh, in terms of like the the net worth when we put into it the cash flow is okay uh they they're just wonderful but as soon as I got bored and I got into these renovation projects man I got screwed like those are just like toxic I could probably make money selling them uh, just not done because the market has moved so much but I would just be lucky
0: to get out and happy yeah the, the nice thing about uh uh, you know, real estate going up, especially here in Vegas, I'll speak for Vegas, uh, you know, is people are actually putting money into their houses again. Uh, you know, there's, there's a lot of houses here in Vegas that, that, you know, I'm talking even houses that are, you know, a million and up that, you know, are just very dated, but people haven't really wanted to spend money renovating, you know, hundred grand, 200 grand, 300 grand. Cause they're like, I don't know if I'm going to get that ROI on that. Whereas, you know, if you've got a property in LA, right. It's not even like you You don't even think about it. You just do it, right? Like, you're just like, oh, I'll spend whatever. Like I don't care. In, in Vegas, it's a very different mentality, but I can say, you know, it's definitely a lot of folks that have thought and they're like, oh, let me change up the kitchen. Let me, let me, uh, you know, put in a pool or do these sorts of things that people definitely years ago probably weren't considering. And and with interest rates being low, from my understanding, I was speaking to a gentleman that runs, a, you know, a refinancing company and like a mortgage company in general, right? He saying a lot of people are doing basically like cash out refis, I guess they're pulling mm-hmm. out the money and going ahead and, and, uh, you know, spending that to, to upgrade their house or whatever. So, uh, it's good to see, I just do worry. I'm like, how long does it last man? But I'm like, it's, it is, it is a positive good thing to see. Right. Right. That's my question. Good for everyone else. Not for them. I'm wondering if
2: I should cash out Refi as well while the prices
3: are still high. Because that would be unfortunate if I cash out Refi once the the price crashes. Why? No, that would be a good thing. If you cash out ReFi while the the prices are high and the property dips below that, that's fantastic for you. That's what I'm saying. Yes, that's what I'm saying. I would do it before
2: that happens. That would be great. Yeah. I would do it. You would do it. it. it, But there's some there's there's a peace
3: of mind about having your, your your house completely paid off and not having to worry about it. I don't know. I listen, at these rates, it's just I agree with you. I think psychologically it, it makes uh it's it's easy not to have to worry about that. But for you, oh man, rates are so low. You could do a lot with that money. And I think over the next thirty years, you'll make more than what you pay on that interest rate. Like logically, I think it just makes so much sense. Especially mm-hmm. for one property, you're fine. I would just go ahead and do it. Worst case you could always pay it off and you're gonna be down like Ten thousand, maybe in closing cost. Worst case, that's what's what it's right. going to cost
2: you. If I if I pull out eighty percent, it would be a little over half a million. So about five hundred K that I could get back in my pocket, that yeah, I right. could then use for taxes. <laughs>
0: I thought you were gonna say would. that I can then use to just keep in cash, so it melts away. No. <laughs>
2: so I can yellow it all into Doge. Mm-hmm.
0: Andre, yeah. you you don't have a you don't have a cash problem. You have an assets problem. That's what you have. you yeah. don't own enough assets, man. You own, you got too much in cash and not enough in assets.
2: Um, gosh, no, I have a decent amount. Uh, with uh, with the tax bill, how much cash do I have? I have about one point five mil in cash after taxes this yeah. year.
0: That's a small one point five. Yeah, just a- uh,
2: yeah that's lot cash. Yeah. Kevin's monthly income. <laughs>
0: I mean, I, I know compared to Kevin and I, as a percent of your cash balance versus your asset balance, it's your cash balance is insanely high. Speaking for Kevin and me, Graham, I'm not 100 percent sure about. Uh, Graham, you got a lot of assets too, and well, you always got cash too. But um, I, yeah, I know. I I, I I have 20, probably too much cash. If if we too much,
3: yeah, uh, twenty. Low twenty something. Per, I'm at like twenty three percent cash.
0: Twenty three million in cash. Yeah, that's yeah,
3: that's too much,
0: man. That's <laughs> <laughs> a little bit too much. <laughs> <laughs> that's too much. And another seventy seven million in assets. That's too much, man.
2: <laughs> Let's be honest. Like I would love to own more real estate. That's what I really want to own more of. But it's just it's not a good time to buy right now. So.
0: Just, wait, 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 wait. Then we get into a whole other discussion. It's not a good time to buy. Okay. What are we saying in five years? Still not a good time. Because I have a friend, man. Friend, he's always like, oh, I should have bought a house, and but it's not a good time to buy. Oh, I want to buy a house. It's not a good time to buy. And he's still renting uh, to this no, day. Like, <laughs> I,
2: I think a primary house, it's great. If the numbers make sense today, don't wait. But as an investment, mm. I, it, you should be a little bit more cognizant of that. But that's why i bought when i did even though I, I knew the prices were really high i still paid cash mostly because i couldn't get approved either way so
0: yeah. but, the, the yeah. thing is though you know you look at uh, you know folks even in 2019 in, in vegas right they were like well real estate might crash soon so uh, i'm gonna stay on well, the yeah. sideline." you know in like i don't want to buy a real estate investment property and meanwhile you know look what's happening with prices right um and so i've just you know eventually things will stabilize or calm down but what happens if, if real estate appreciates another 20, 30, 40% over the next two, three, four years? Um, And then it finally stabilizes or maybe goes down. I mean,
2: that's, if that's the rate of return over the next few years, then I would be like a crazy multimillionaire with my Bitcoin (laughs) because you're talking about insane inflation numbers right there.
0: That's a good point. That's a good point. Yeah. You know, uh, as long as people are always interested in owning Bitcoin, which Brings me another point. How's Michael Burry say Bitcoin's a bubble? At the end of the day, you you can't say that thing's a bubble. It's whatever price it's going to be, right? It's like I brought out this point earlier. I was like, you know, gold. I don't want to own gold. You know, I don't know what gold's market cap is. Maybe it's 10 trillion or whatever. I don't care to own gold, but I can't say gold's a bubble. Because at the end of the day, it's it's some people love to hold their 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 money in gold, right? Same thing as Bitcoin, right? Some people love to hold Bitcoin, right? They, that's like, you know, now the, the talk is Bitcoin is the reserve uh, kind of asset class, right? You don't want to hold cash, buy some Bitcoin, hold it over there, right? And so I I, I don't want to get back on Michael Burry, but it just brought me that point. I'm like, how can you call these things a bubble when at the end of the day, if somebody wants to buy it, they, like, they want to buy it, you know? So, well, it was
2: really interesting what Kevin O'Leary said recently about his gold position because he said that he started to sell off a substantial amount of gold because to, to have gold, like if you're a real gold investor, you, you're not going to have ETFs. You're going to have the physical gold, right? That's what it means mm-hmm. to be a real, true investor of gold. Mm-hmm. And that actually costs you money. Like you are bleeding money storing gold. And so he's converting a, a substantial percent. I think it was like 20 or 30% of his gold position into Bitcoin because Bitcoin, you can actually earn passive income. You can actually lend it out right there's DeFi. you can stake it in liquidity pools you can actually earn money on money that's just sitting there and it's kind of interesting that all these smart you know private equity people and and hedge funds are starting to wake up to that and so i I guess when you're saying like how do you value bitcoin it just seems like every year we go forward there's more i guess fundamental value that like more people from hedge funds from corporations from all kinds of different groups are are starting to like wake up to what you can do with it and so the the supply and demand that's really the true metric so as we go forward there's less and less bitcoin to buy and you have more and more people with more money start to wake up as like what it can do and so i I don't know
0: that's a great point yeah that's a great point andre i I love that only thing i will say about kevin o'leary sometimes i wonder if kevin o'leary just says certain things or makes certain moves based upon what is kind of the popular thing because i remember he used to be negative about tesla then he started to get a ton of hate and all of a sudden he was like oh yeah I'm tesla bull now you know and and yeah. uh you know bitcoin move but anyways it it doesn't it doesn't take away from the point it is a very interesting yeah. point you okay. could earn interest i know in voyager they give i think five and a half percent or something like that if you if you hold bitcoin in there four or five percent or something like that so That's right
3: yeah Andre, so what do you th- what do you think a bitcoin ETF would do to the price of bitcoin? Dude, it's game
2: over if we if we get a US-based bitcoin uh, ETF. There's already one in Canada, but you mean a
1: crypto bitcoin. ETF, right?
2: No. Yeah, yeah, I guess it would be a crypto ETF. Uh, or I don't we- know.
3: That would be interesting. Why wouldn't it just be Bitcoin?
2: Why couldn't there be an ETF that just tracks the price of Bitcoin? It depends on the implementation. It could be like, you know, 30% in
3: Bitcoin, 10% Ethereum, and then all the other alts. Yeah. I, I was reading up on this today, and they, they were suggesting that if a Bitcoin ETF comes into existence, the yeah. low liquidity of Bitcoin right now combined with the high level of investor demand to be like, you know what, let me just go and buy a little bit of an ETF. That would send the price shooting up because there's simply not enough Bitcoin on the market right now to satisfy an ETF. And they're saying that's one of the reasons why the SEC is probably not going to allow it at this point, at least until it grows much bigger, because they're worried about that effect of, of starting an ETF and all of a sudden day one, the price of bitcoin triples because it's like it's just it's a it's just everyone's buying it up along the way
2: sure ah gosh I don't, it does make sense i don't know why they haven't done it that would be weird if that that's the reason why they don't want to do it though it yeah make-
3: yeah it's it's from my understanding it's a combination of liquidity market maturity meaning they want a long-standing history not just 11 12 years and uh volatility if they're going to do an etf they wanted something that isn't at risk of dropping 90%. Don't you think that that would actually solve that problem though by allowing an ETF you would make it much more stable
2: because you're you're basically growing it in market cap. You're going to make it far more larger,
3: therefore stable. I agree. I agree, but that's probably one of the reasons too why they wanted the, the for the S&P why they wanted to wait for Tesla. They wanted to wait for a little bit more time to go by before they added it up.
0: Hmm. Okay. Good point. Okay, so before we got a few other subjects to get into here today, some interesting ones. But before we do that, we got to give a shout out to today's sponsor, which is Millennial Money Clips channel. If you haven't got to check out Millennial Money Clips, definitely do so. That is linked in the description, okay? That's where we post all our clips. And don't forget to smash on this video too. Smash that like button as always. All right, guys. So Graham, I saw you came out with a video, Millennials Going Broke. What, What was that about, man?
3: Yeah. The premise of that was that, uh, older millennials on average are way further behind every other previous generation in terms of wealth, where they are, how much money they have invested, whether or not they're a homeownership. everything has dropped across the board. And the premise of that is that millennials really need to kick it into gear and either they're going to have to make more money, save more money, invest more money, or potentially inherit, uh, their money from their parents. So that's really what that's about. And, uh, millennials got served a pretty bad hand overall in terms of entering the job market at a time where we were in a recession. Then by the time, finally, they, they have money to participate in the market. They're just getting their bearing. The pandemic happens. Prices go through the roof. A lot of them are priced out of real estate just as they're able to afford it. And it's always like they're constantly like one step behind. So. My uh, solution solution to that was basically switching Index jobs. Up. What's up? Index funds. Yeah, <laughs> this gamestop. Uh, no, the solution <laughs> to that was uh, was tattooed chef. <laughs> yeah! <laughs> I
0: mean, let's let's go. Go, yeah, let's go, let's go, Kevin. Yeah. yeah. yeah.
3: So, so I now. say, yeah. So if you want to build wealth, short Tesla, uh, buy tattooed <laughs> chef. No. And uh, switching those. jobs. Switching jobs on average, you switch jobs one time on average. You're going to make fifteen percent more. And if you switch jobs on average every two to three years, you're going to wind up making 50% more. Wow. Just that, that's what the studies have found. So I recommended a combination of that, saving the difference, in investing.
0: Studies,
2: and investing. Studies conclude that millennials are just lazy because the previous Entitled. generation and they're self centered.
3: They're
0: spending how so much time
2: for, on Instagram? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They bought their house for 20 grand in the 80s. Uh.
0: Yeah. Mill- millennials are scared to switch jobs sometimes, man, because we entered the job market and there were no jobs. So we're just thankful if we got a job, man. <laughs> that's what yeah. it comes down
3: to. Well, that's why you, you never leave a job until you have another one lined up. Mm-hmm. You know? It would but- be the silliest thing to leave a job and then be like, all right, I'm going to find a new one.
2: There's a caveat, though. That's exactly what I did when I left my job to do YouTube, because I knew if I had another job lined up, I would never be motivated enough to do YouTube. So it was like, I just kind of jumped out of the airplane. I was like, I'm either going to do it like full on for a, for a year or two, or I'm not going to do it at all. I'm just not going to be motivated enough. So I left with no backup plan, which was not smart in retrospect, but it's what I needed to to do it.
0: In I retrospect. Think, yeah. <laughs> I mean, we could go really deep on this subject. I mean, I think part of it could also be, I mean, there's so many various factors in this, but also uh, you know, I don't know what the data is around millennials and getting into relationships with a significant other, but I think that can also have a factor. Cause I think about, you know, when I got in a relationship with my now wife, right. We were able to put two incomes together, right. Uh, she was able to pay some of the bills, and I was able to pay less bills, right? Once she moved in, which allowed me to then invest more money, right? Because now I have less bills to pay because she's helping out, so I can invest more money, and then I also helped her jumpstart with when it came to investing, also. And I was like, "Oh, you can you know buy stocks this is how you do it. Set up an account, right?" And so we jumpstarted our lives because we came together and we we you know were on one common path, right. And I got to say, uh, there's definitely a lot of millennials that just aren't as incentivized to get into relationships as last, you know, last generations. are kind of like, meh, mm, whatever. If it comes, it comes. I just I've constantly find folks that are in that 23 to 33 year old bracket, man, that are just like, eh, mm. you know and what? I, just, I know think God. that's difference in generation. That's funny. Man. Uh, I,
3: I I happened this this came up uh, earlier today when I was browsing Reddit. Turns out millennials are dating less, and one of the reasons because of that. Well, two reasons. One is because they have less disposable income to go on dates. The other reason is because they're living at home longer.
2: Mm. That makes sense.
0: Ooh, okay,
2: yeah. yeah when you met your girlfriend, you you guys became Dinks, dual income, no kids
0: yes man yeah. and that, that's that's the way man especially if you have limited income you could put the, the two incomes together and then you know still live frugally like we always lived in either a one or two bedroom apartment right uh, until we we had our first kid and then we moved to a three bedroom apartment man that's the that's the way it's done if you got a limited but, income which but definitely- that's also assuming assuming you have a partner who believes the same
3: things you do you're on the same same uh, same path. And, uh, and you, you have someone who's supportive of what you want to do because you could yeah. just as easily end up with a partner who's like, you know, oh, we got to go out to the club tonight. We got to spend money. And then you could just end up spending double the money.
0: Right. Yeah. Well, yeah, I think that just gets into a deeper subject around relationships and, and how to build uh, personal relationships, because there's no there's no. you know I think there's a lot of in our generation that think they're going to find the perfect person that has no flaws. And the, that person just doesn't exist. Everybody has flaws. Everybody's gonna have things you don't like about them or things you're like, ah, oh, I wish they could change this or that, right? That's just the way right. it is. Everybody came up
2: with a million dollar idea, Jeremy. We need to create an app that filters people with incomes. <laughs> so you just like swipe, <laughs> swipe.
0: Oh, you make five hundred k. Swipe. <laughs> yeah, I, I was oh, gonna dude. say I don't even know if that would be legal. Imagine how much lying would go on in that app, though. Everybody's <laughs> I'm everybody a CEO. Knows. I'm a CEO.
1: It's like you, you know, know who could do that. Yeah. Plaid, the company ooh, that lets you ooh. verify all your apps and that. that they have. Awesome. Oh, dude, if you read their terms of services. They can sell all your effing data off all your transactions, all your cards, what you're buying, how much you're spending, what your deposits are. Literally, everything in Plaid is information they can sell on you. Somebody could just buy the Plaid API right now. Somebody could buy the Plaid API. (laughs) probably make an app like that to where automatically if you download this new app like oh yeah this new dating app it already says we estimate your income is x oh by the way you should probably stop spending so much money on beer yeah
2: we should call it the millennial
0: money app (laughs) you're you're telling me there's a chance (laughs) i like this idea now we're talking andre now we're talking man this is legit this is 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 those ideas
2: you say out loud that sounds so stupid that I guarantee you, if you actually did it, you would make an insane amount of money.
3: Yeah. Yeah, the, well, we, we should do some sort of dating app or something around that. The, the problem though, is that uh, someone wanted to do this a while ago in the financial independence subreddit, but it turned out it was like 95% guys who are into financial independence. <laughs> so it's like, it skews so heavily <laughs> on, you gotta be male, San Francisco. And so, like that's <laughs> the, so then let's yeah, just make- a grinder version, exactly. He's <laughs> just going to say that. A
0: financial grinder version. Yeah. <laughs> we're, we're, we've gone left here. We've gone left. Okay. Uh, Andre, what's going on with your house, man? Is that baby ready to move in or what's going on with that? Dude, it's the most stressful thing ever.
2: It was supposed to be done a month and a half ago. We're three and a half months into the project. Uh, I'm dropping a video tomorrow about it. But yeah, it's been one step forward, two steps backwards. Literally everything that... Everything's delayed. <laughs> There's setbacks, like everything that could go wrong did go wrong. And uh, I remember Graham making a video about his repair, and it ended up costing him like over $100,000. Because as soon as you open something up and you see something's wrong, you're like, well, I might as well. Well, I paid oh, this yeah. much. I might as well do this. Let's do this right. And it just leads to... You know explet- what's so
1: funny about you saying that is I literally have... Uh and, and I'm not trying to like plug here, but I have a thing in, in one of my programs. I have a thing where one of the things I say is nice the worst thing you could say in real estate is while I'm at it, I may <laughs> yeah. as well. Because yeah. literally your budget will triple. And yeah. and this is why one like one of the things, and, and it is it's not it's n- no shade on, on your project because you're gonna live there, you got the money and stuff like that, but literally. Every, anytime I go into a property, and and I made the mistake with these big renovations, right? Because it's just like teardowns and rebuild, right? But all of these other properties, I'm looking at like, oh, look, we have old 1950s cabinets. And I'm like, they look great. Because <laughs> you know? as soon as you take those out, you're redoing the drywall. But then when if you're going to redo the drywall, you may as well redo the electrical. and may as well do the plumbing. And what about the insulation? And all
2: yeah that's exactly right you're just like glaze everything glaze this <laughs> glaze this problem it's just gonna last five pretty years pretty much
1: pretty much can can we glaze it <laughs>
0: yeah
2: <laughs> that's
1: awesome
0: wrecked, man no that's yeah, awesome no. yeah I'm, I'm just, uh, yeah okay good yeah my housing update we've we got the keys to the new one man so excited about that but um everything's taking forever we got certain items furniture items that we ordered months ago that still aren't coming in for months our main fridge is not coming in until August or who knows wherever. It's probably in China somewhere. <laughs> I don't even know. Well, the thing is like, even a, you know, we ordered, uh, I think sub zero or whatever fridges, right. That's made in America. But the problem is they, I'm sure they get parts and, and components from these other countries. So it just delays the whole process, man. It's a mess. Uh, yeah. Hey Graham, what's going on with that coffee company, man? Oh, this Bankrollcoffee. <laughs> <dot com. laughs>
3: yeah, we launched it yesterday. I was really excited after like almost a year of working on this thing. So, and it was a I, it it was a huge success. I sold more than I ever expected. I Hold for fun, fond- signed- What's up? Hold it up, brother. There we go. Oh, I All get right. the Ooh. There we go. Bankroll Coffee. We got there. We go. Diamond hands. <laughs> there we go. But no, so as a joke, I signed 69 mugs and I'm including a picture of like a framed picture of me signing each individual mug. I numbered them all, sold them for $69. It's just a joke. Those sold out almost within just basically immediately. So by the time I posted the video, it's already sold out. Do you think that
0: was mature of you, Graham, to do something like that? (laughs) Funny enough,
3: believe it or not, that was the only profit. Well, not really profit because it, it, uh, that basically paid for some of the packaging that we couldn't use uh, because it had old branding. Uh, that was the only profit we made was from those mugs. Every, everything else that we're selling is sold at cost right now. And our goal is really just to build it up, get subscriptions. We make a little bit of money on the bulk orders, but our plan is just, this is the cost of acquisition. Instead of spending money on ads and stuff, let's at least pass the savings back on to the customer. So that that's our growth strategy right now. But funny enough, the mugs, that was profit for us, but again, like, wow. but not really because we had to rebrand anyway. But yeah, yeah. let's so, talk about. Want
2: to do the app. That's some high growth margin right there.
3: Wait, what? <laughs>
2: let's do the app. <laughs> that's gonna make more profit. <laughs>
0: yeah, <I know. laughs> oh man! Oh no, that's awesome, Graham. Congrats on that, man. That's big Thanks. stuff. So, uh, Kevin, we need a governor update. Ah. What's going on <laughs>
1: Yeah, hey. Well, did a rally here in San Francisco. It was super fun. Uh it was really cool because we did it right in front of the uh, uh the city hall. So it was this really beautiful shot. and we were in the San Francisco Chronicle and the paper and they were taking pictures and stuff, but it's just really cool and, and it just it's so weird because it, it feels so um uh it, it's it's so different from just talking to a camera because it's like you're speaking to, to to uh you know people who who wanna see California be a better place. So that was fun. Uh, You know, we're gonna do uh, in the future, we're gonna do a lot more rallies together though, because if we're going to fly out with the team, we may as well just hit here, 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 and kind of daisy chain them together. Working on
0: them. That, that's yeah. awesome, man! And you guys are flying in private jets everywhere. You take uh, how many people <laughs> in those private jets? <laughs> nice, Kevin. Uh, the, most yeah,
2: yeah. the most dangerous pr- phrase in politics is, "Well, we're here. We might as well."
0: <laughs>
3: <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah. Well, we were thinking about doing a, a big bus tour, uh, but the problem with the bus tour is I'd be stuck in in an area. And I wouldn't be able to see my family, so that would suck. So we didn't go for a bus. A bus rental for an executive bus was going to cost us two hundred four thousand dollars plus hotel for the driver. It was like two hundred twenty grand. And with carbon offsets, so we're not like polluting the environment, we could do twenty five flights, twenty five to thirty flights because they're short flights, uh, in a pr- in a private uh, eight seater jet. For two hundred and three or four thousand dollars, so we're actually saving money. We can go to more destinations faster. I see mm-hmm. my family, uh, and, and we're offsetting. We're paying the offset fees for any carbon emissions, so it actually works that, out. Wow, that's
0: amazing! Yeah, I saw that post you did on Instagram where it's actually cheaper to do the PJ than it is, uh, like you know, another form of transportation, and it's quicker. Yeah. That's just that's, that's so crazy. Man. I don't get how the bus
3: is that much. I mean, I, I get mm-hmm. the the convenience factor of mm-hmm. uh, just the time. So your time is worth way more than all of that. Yeah but for, couldn't you buy just like a fully loaded, like Mercedes Sprinter van for like 180? Uh A Sprinter van. It, the,
1: so the executive Sprinter vans can be like half a million dollars. Some Uh and we probably, we were estimating we probably need about three of them for, to have a, an entire campaign team with us. Uh, and so what we thought is we, we would just split up uh, and we thought, okay, well maybe we could just do one Sprinter van uh, and maybe do that. Sure. But then again, we still have the same problem of being stuck. What we really wanted was an executive bus where we could have a bunch of volunteers on it to, you know, put 40 people on and have tables you could work on. But to get that kind of executive bus, it's not like an RV where you have a bed in a kitchen. Like you literally need it to be executive style, which those cost one and a half million dollars. Who knew? And then you want to wrap it. It's like 20 grand. The driver costs money. The gas costs money. The, uh, just,
0: Got it. Okay. Wow. Ah. Cool. That's incredible. Well, anyways, Graham, take us home, man. This has been a fun episode. Yeah. So
3: with that said, you guys, thank you so much for watching. Make sure before you leave to subscribe, we got to subscribe. We got to do our part to support the channel and also the millennial money clips channel is down below in the description. Go and subscribe to that as well. You may as well, that channel is posting the best clips out of, uh, out of every episode. I think it's twice a day over the week. So every single week, uh, you, you basically get the highlights and can read the comments. I, I enjoy reading the comments of that channel. So the link is down below in the description, as with a whole bunch of other goodies down there. So thank you guys so much. Oh, hit the like button before you forget. You may as well just do that. Thank you guys so much, and until next
0: For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts